his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Hello there, folks. Esme Murphy here along with uh, producer Shaletta Brundage. We are continuing to monitor the historic blizzard that we are having. Uh, but we are going to talk and we'll have a full update on the forecast at the bottom of the hour. But we are going to talk this hour as we nearly always do on Saturday nights with our friend, Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. How are you tonight? Snowed in like everybody else. <laughs> okay. Well, we want a, a full snow report uh, from the Schultz Estate in St. Paul. Okay, so I I am in St. Paul on St. Clair Avenue, and I'm guessing we probably have about a foot of snow out here. I know we tried to go out to get the mail earlier today. We had to basically shovel our way even just out the front door to get to the mailbox. Right, so you're thinking about a foot, and that's a pretty busy, it's a big street. I mean, how's it in terms of plowing? I mean, have, have they been through? It looks like they went through a little while ago, because you're right, we're on a major bus route on St. Clair Avenue. So it looks like they at least went through it once with the plows um, to uh, to clean it up. But but even even with that, of course, as you know, um, there's so much snow out there that... Uh, and I'm seeing a few cars driving out there. I think the people are crazy to be doing it. A few out there. <laughs> and, and let me ask you this, because you are a, an avid gardener. Right. Um, what does this do to somebody like you that really, uh, you know, puts so much into your garden? I mean, you're, you're just prolific. You always have so many fruits and vegetables and flowers. I mean, help hurt. Uh, Problems. Well, the, the, the moisture, of course, will be good for it. But I'm looking at it now and thinking, you know, I mean, generally we don't try to. Obviously, you don't do most of our planting until Memorial Day. And I'm looking at it, thinking now that, you know, usually most times, most years that we're already starting to see the thaw. You know, the ground is warming up. So that sure. By, so by the time we get to the end of May, we can actually plant. I mean, the ground was a little muddy, but not thawed out. And of course, now it's just going to freeze right up. So I, I'm speculating it's going to be maybe into June, unless something dramatically changes before I can do planting this year. Right. And you've got a place you can park, right? Yes. Okay, because we're getting actually a lot number of calls from uh, folks in St. Paul who are upset about the snow emergency, which uh, has some cars needing to be moved at 9 o'clock tonight mm-hmm. and, and 8 o'clock tomorrow, by, and the others by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. And obviously people are saying, how can we possibly dig our cars out when there's that much snow? Because this is the heavy, wet stuff. So that's... Um, Something we'll continue to monitor here, but um, those of you who are lucky in St. Paul to have off-street parking, don't have to worry about it. Those who do park on the street, it sounds like it's not a great situation over there. Well, I was gonna, we mentioned off the air here if you, um, what I was going to do today. I originally had tickets to go see the Twins today, too. Right. We well, you know something. Maybe you can pull some strings. Do you know where the Twins are headed since uh, both their game today and tomorrow was postponed? They're actually leaving early. Mm-hmm. for their. They have two games in Puerto Rico this week. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> we just had we just had uh, someone from the Twins on earlier, and obviously the Twins have done a great job with all kinds of relief efforts. Uh, they've joined uh, other prominent. Obviously, there are many prominent um, uh, 
baseball players both in the past and, and present, you know, who are from Puerto Rico and they the Twins have done an awful lot, but they're actually going to play some games, uh, two major league games, and apparently the entire island is excited about it. But but they're leaving tomorrow, so <laughs> I don't know if you have any any strings you can pull. But I wish I could. Okay, so I've got to tell you the story of why I'm especially disappointed about the not about the game not occurring today. So when I was a little kid, um, I loved baseball like a lot of people. I grew up in New York, and for people who are old time Twins fans, they will remember a player named Tony Oliva. Who well, of course, an yes, amazing player. Oh, that's right. Yeah, when I was a little kid. I had a Tony Oliva baseball glove, um, you know, a McGregor one. I still have it. And I've always wanted to meet Tony Oliva, so I contacted the Twins management a couple of months ago, and they were so gracious, and they said, oh, he would love to see your glove. We were supposed to meet today. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're going to have to arrange a different date for it, but I do. I still have my Tony Oliva glove. It's all chewed up, et cetera, et cetera, but you can still see, you know, people know gloves, but they had like, like the signature there. You can still see his signature there. Oh, that's cool. Well, you know something? I have met him, and he is just a wonderful gentleman. A uh, very kind man who obviously still does so much uh, for the twins. So I, I that that's because I, I remember you telling me about that, and um, yeah. that that is a shame. But um, right. I, I'm, I bet you'll get another day there. Right, right. And you've seen in my office at, at school. I actually have it. I, I, someone bought it for me, so I've never actually got it myself. I've got an autographed Tony Oliva baseball and everything. So, so yes, at some point, it's like my last word in here. He should be in the Hall of Fame. He was ripped off. Right. Absolutely, and 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 again, just you know, a, a wonderful, wonderful, nice man, and and just a, an absolute gentleman. Well, listen, you know, in addition to obviously the blizzard, um, there were actually some some significant uh, political happenings today because you had uh, some of the congressional district nominating conventions happen today, folks. Um, and I actually did talk um, uh, in the second district. Uh, I did talk to somebody who works. Uh, for Angie Craig, she did get the nomination, so she will be um, squaring off against Jason Lewis today. But I, they wanted to know if we were going to come down and cover the convention. And I said, well, you know, I'm not working at TV today. I said, but I got to tell you, I, I think with the weather, that's obviously overriding everything. And I would think it'd be very difficult for us to get down there. And we did not get down there. Obviously, we're going to report the results. Uh, but apparently, um, Angie Craig and, and I'm sure some of the, you know, the people that were running against her, they were actually trying to book people or, you know, like people were staying at her house and, you know, because they were worried about delegates obviously getting there because that is a big sprawling district. Uh, so a, a tough day to have these nominating conventions. Um, your thoughts about Angie Craig, uh, winning this nomination, it was expected and running against, in a rematch against Jason Lewis. Well, no surprise that, that she won the nomination. I think what's going to be interesting about this race is the fact that it's really going to be a two-person race this time because last time it was a three-way race. There was an independent candidate who polled at about 7% in the final election. Yeah, Paula Overby. Paula Overby. And, and she got 28,000 votes. Yes, she did She did quite well. She did very well. I think it was about 7 or 8% of the vote. Um, and... Arguably, some, one can make the case and say that, you know, had some of those votes moved over to Angie Craig, which I think is pretty likely they would have been, Angie Craig might have won that election. So now it's, a, it's, it's essentially a, a one-on-one race. Um, Jason Lewis has some advantages now that he didn't have before. He's the incumbent. He's going to have more money. Um, but, but this, I think, is going to set itself up as, as a very, very competitive race again. And I expect this to be one of several races in Minnesota 
that's going to attract a lot of outside national money and a lot of outside attention. And I'm just going to say at this point, it is probably a toss-up. Um, toss-up, although I might, if I were going to say anything, might give Jason Lewis just a slight advantage because, of course, he's the incumbent. Right. And I do think it's interesting, um, you know, people talk about money in politics. He spent about a million dollars. She spent in excess of four million dollars, mm-hmm. and he won. Right. Um, and you did have this third-party candidate who I think definitely was pulling uh, much more from the Democratic side. I mean, that candidate, Paul Overby, is now running in the U.S. Senate race. Uh, I think on the along the Green Party, right, and, uh, and, and, and in the Amy Klobuchar race, right, right. Um, and so I, I do think that, that that's interesting. Also, you know, Jason Lewis did send out. Um, uh, an announcement last night that he is going to be holding some town hall meetings. He did not. This is a video announcement. Uh, he didn't say when and where because I wrote his, you know, uh, representative back and said, "Well, when and where are the town hall meetings?" Mm-hmm. And you have to sign up via email. Right. Um, but obviously, he's trying to mitigate that criticism that some Republicans have gotten about not holding town hall meetings. Mm-hmm. And. Um, you know, because it's interesting. He was actually on our the Sunday TV show that I do last week, and I asked him about that. I said, "People are really mad you're not doing town hall meetings," and he actually did a, an extended interview on Facebook Live. And he said, "Listen, I, I don't want these things are being set up as a spectacle, and and I don't want it." You know, um, and so he he said, "You know, I am meeting with constituents, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes, and if, if the town hall meeting thing is an issue." It is, and I and I and I know I've. There's been lots of lots of people who've who've I think been able to make a fair amount of of noise about that. They've also done that with Eric Paulson too. I know we'll get to talk about that race in a minute too. But this has been a criticism um, of the two of them that they have been unwilling to sort of do the very traditional, old-fashioned, wide-open town hall meetings, which are almost kind of like some variation of New England town democracy. People get to show up and shout out whatever questions they want, and Jason Lewis has really steered away from that. All right. Um, Let's take a a quick break here. And when we come back, let's go – let's jump to the 3rd Congressional District because uh, Dean Phillips got that nomination as expected. Uh, But we'll talk about that race. And then it looks like the 8th is still going on. So maybe by the time we wrap up all that, uh, we'll have uh, some kind of decision in the 8th. So uh, keep it here, folks. More with Professor David Schultz. And again, we are continuing to monitor the blizzard. We'll have a full update on the forecast coming up at the bottom of the hour. It is 822 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz. And before we get to talking about the 3rd Congressional District, I do want to read a tweet from one of my colleagues. Um, Kate Raddatz has been out all day. She was actually live in Mankato at 8 a.m. and she just got home a few minutes ago, according to her Twitter feed. But what she posted here is something that we've been hearing all evening long, and we've been getting a lot of calls on this. Uh, Kate tweeted, many of the metro exit ramps do not look plowed off 169. Issue cars are stuck and causing traffic backups. So Kate's talking about that at, at 169 here just a short time ago. We heard it from our producer, Shaletta, uh, on, on 494, um, you know, near the Cottage Grove area. We heard about it from Molly Rosenblatt on Highway 62, uh, the Crosstown, and we heard about it from Eric Nelson on Interstate 94. 
it's everywhere, folks. So people are thinking maybe it's easing up just a little bit, but these roads still are not cleared and these exit ramp situations, people are not able to get up. They're not plowed and we're continuing to run into problems. So stay at home, folks. Uh, you can get out tomorrow, but it's still not safe to be out and about. All right, that's my that's my lecture, Professor Schultz. That's a good lecture to let people know there's, well, there's no real important need to be right. Out there. And it's just it's just it's been so consistent. Um, you know, if, as I said, from all over the metro area, we really have had these very detailed reports, and this latest one from Kate Raddatz on Twitter. Uh, it's just it's just not worth it. I mean, it's just not worth it. Do you really want to spend your night on the interstate waiting for a tow truck? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, she has a, I'm a Facebook friend of hers, and she's posted some amazing pictures. I don't know if you've looked at them also in terms of her, like down in Mankato and so forth today, and they're just incredible scenes. Right. It's just it's just not worth it at, at, at all. Um, but I do want to ask you, so we went through the second district and chatting with here with Professor David Schultz. This was actually a really big day with these congressional district nominating conventions. They are not all done. There are still a bunch that are – uh, left that are going to happen in, in later weeks. But uh, one that did happen today was the 3rd Congressional District. This is not a surprise. Dean Phillips, uh, who is a philanthropist, a uh, successful businessman in his own right, uh, heir to the Phillips liquor fortune, he did get the nomination in uh, Congressional District 3 from the DFL, and he will be running against uh, Minnesota Congressman Eric Paulson. Your thoughts about that? Again, no surprise there. I mean, he's been he's been essentially running for I'm going to say at least six months, if not longer. Um, he has enormous name recognition. You're right. He seems very popular, and you're right. He has both his own personal fortune, and he's going to attract an incredible amount of money. This is one of the races, you know, that that the Cook for Political Report indicates as a toss up. And the Cook for Political Report, Political Report, pardon me, if people don't know, is a very very good handicapper. Um, um, out of Washington that's done a very good job over the years, really, really making good judgments about what races are competitive or not at the congressional level. This is a, this is a toss-up race out there against Eric Paulson. Eric Paulson, you know, really probably hasn't faced a candidate, um, um, like Dean in the sense of how many resources that Dean is going to be able to bring to the race. And we know that in the presidential election, that even though, um, Eric Paulson won his congressional district, it was a district that went pretty strongly for Hillary Clinton. So this, so th- right. this, this is going to be a fascinating race to watch. Right, and, and it's you know there there are some fascinating you know variables here. Uh, what you know, Professor Schultz just mentioned is that Hillary Clinton won that district by ten uh, percent, almost ten percentage points. Eric Paulson beat a very popular state senator, Terry Bonoff, by I think it was almost fifteen. Percentage yeah, he, points. I mean, she he really, yeah. uh, really, really ran away with that race, and a lot of people thought it was going to be, including myself, thought it was going to be a lot closer. Yeah, he did, but and, and again, he he had significantly more resources than she did. In ter- and again, even though we talked about how in the previous in the second district where Angie Craig significantly outspent Jason Lewis, but he won. Um, in this situation here, I would say that Eric Paulson's name recognition and the fact that he had a lot of money up front that he was able to commit into early advertising, I think really helped him significantly in terms of, of winning. Um, plus, I'm going to say that, that um, you know, his opponent, she didn't probably do as good a job campaigning as she could. I mean, there were lots of people who criticized her for several missteps, and, 
again, didn't raise anywhere near the money she needed to do the advertising to be an incumbent. All right. Uh, listen, we have to um, – we're going to take a break now um, because I want to hit weather as close to the bottom of the hour as possible because I know a lot of people want to hear about it and hear what's going on there. Uh, but when we come back, uh, we can talk about the 8th District and certainly we want to talk about – a lot to talk about as always with President Trump and the threats on Twitter about the airstrikes Then saying that perhaps he wasn't going to be uh, having airstrikes. Obviously, we did have airstrikes yesterday uh, but want to ask uh, – Professor Schultz about that as well. So let's take a quick break. We will give you your weather forecast right after. Uh, Esme Murphy along with Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University and I am just uh, – the 8th Congressional District uh, had its nominating convention and this was one of the surprises, the two big surprises in Minnesota politics in terms of the impact on the November elections uh, was the abrupt resignation of Al Franken uh, in December of last year, which obviously set up an unexpected Senate race. We weren't expecting a Senate race, that Senate race, second race. a second Senate race. You've got um, – you know, You've got Amy Klobuchar running for re-election, but you, now you also have Senator Tina Smith, who was appointed by Governor Dayton, running against uh, State Senator Karen Housley. Uh, so you've got that Senate race, but you also had the very unexpected announcement, uh, an abrupt announcement by Congressman Rick Nolan that he was not going to be running for a re-election again, and that happened, you know, pretty recently. Right after the caucuses. Right. So the CD8 um, uh, convention is today. Um, and I am not seeing word that they um, – it went to at least eight ballots. Uh, I'm not seeing word that they were able to make a decision. Um, I One of the things that did come out of this – and again, I'm kind of talking and trying to read at the same time – is that Congressman Rick Nolan, after uh, I think six or seven ballots, ended up endorsing uh, Joe Rodinovich, uh, who is a former state rep – he is also the former chief of staff to Mayor Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry uh, over Leah Pfeiffer, who is a former FBI uh, intelligence analyst. Both of these, uh, both Pfeiffer and Radinovich, are, are very young. I mean, I think she might be in her late twenties and early thirties at, at, at the tops for both of them. Really, I think both people, both of them, are considered you know potential bright stars of that eighth uh, congressional district area, but. Um, and she was, after eight votes, I think she was just a hair ahead of him. Right, but I, I think I think it may come. Um, it might switch now. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that there. I don't think an endorsement has been achieved here yet. Right. Um, how much is sort of you know this all sort of up in the air? I mean, how much is as you know Congressman Nolan's. Uh, and sort of the reverberations about his, by his decision to not run again. I mean, this is a free for all up there. What well, is a free for all? Because nobody was expecting it, and they were figuring, figuring that he was going to run again. Um, the Republicans really weren't looking like they were going to line up anybody. I'd say significant, also in terms of running, sort of conceding that that after he had beat um, um, Stuart Mills a couple of times, that that this is Rick Nolan's race. I think both parties were completely caught by surprise. I think national politics was caught by surprise in terms of this. So you're right. So we're looking at now what, barely what, three months? Not even three months, what, barely what, two months 
after he announced that he wasn't running for election, that I think both sides, but let's say on the Democratic side, they're still lining up support. And I think that one of the other difficulties with a race like this, again, another one of those 20 to 25 in the country that the Cook little political report is saying is a toss-up, um, the pressure is not just to sort of get your support in terms of bodies, but also, again, in terms of money, because this will yet again be another very, very expensive campaign, um, partly because it's a toss-up, but also because the 8th District is unusual. It's in two media markets, in the Duluth media market, and the southern part of the 8th District is also in the Twin Cities market. So you're going to have to see candidates raise money and outside groups raise money to pay for advertising in both markets. Right. And so so that you know, remains to be seen what happens there. And it's also that 8th District um, and also the 1st District, which we haven't got – are both open seats, which means right. there's no incumbent. And both have a history of flip-flopping. They do. And which is pretty rare. It is. It is pretty rare. And this is what's potentially interesting here. We've got four seats that I think are competitive. You know, we already talked about it. Paulson, um, um, you know, Eric Paulson's race, we already talked about, you know, third district, second district, Jason Lewis, and we have the first and eighth, which are open. Um, four out of our eight congressional seats are toss up. And again, Cook Political Report says the same thing. All kinds of possibilities could occur here. I mean, I can see one scenario where the eighth and the first flip and become Republican, and we see the second and third flip and become Democrat, or all kinds of permutations. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of action across these four seats in terms of how much they truly are in play. And, you know, we've kidded about this before in terms of saying that you and I are in the wrong business. You know, we ought to be in the business of selling television advertising <laughs> uh, because there's going to be an incredible amount going to be put into that. And I'm also suspecting we're going to see for those four races, and actually I'll be curious to see in those four races, who makes national appearances, you know, for for those candidates. And up until, I would say, 72 hours ago, I would have anticipated seeing somebody named Paul Ryan coming in for at least a couple of those districts. And since, and, and we're talking about surprises here, his decision not to, to run again in Wisconsin as Speaker of the House um, is also a pretty significant factor, um, maybe even more of a surprise than, than Rick Nolan not running. All right. Well, let's t- let's get into that because that obviously is an enormous deal. And Paul Ryan uh, says he is retiring. I-, I don't think anybody, and obviously he will not be running uh, for re-election. He, you know, he will obviously no longer be the speaker. Uh, but I, I, I think we're going to see Paul Ryan again. He's still, in political terms, a very young man at 48. Right. Uh, he's the former vice presidential nominee of the Republican Party. He ran with Mitt Romney. He's the former House Speaker. Uh, he's widely sort of admired and, and, and really is a star uh, of the Republican Party. But one interpretation, and of course if you ask Republicans, they say no, 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 is that uh, this is an indication that Republicans believe – that they are not going to control the House of Representatives after the November midterm elections. I mean, do you think, do you see it that way? That's that's one possibility. I mean, the Democrats need to pick up 25 seats, if I remember correctly, to be able to take control of the House of Representatives. They would need just about the perfect storm to be able to do that, because, again, it's about 20 to 25 seats that are, that are in play um, in the House of Representatives, um, although we may see that expand a little bit more. But the Democrats would need an exceedingly good year to do it. So one interpretation is that. A second interpretation is the fact that 
that the party of Paul Ryan is no longer the party of Paul Ryan. It's become the party of Donald Trump, and the two of them really don't see eye to eye with one another um, in terms of, um, in terms of, I guess, the party that Paul Ryan represents has been eclipsed by Donald Trump. That's the second interpretation. Third interpretation is the fact that some people are saying that he will only be, what, about 51 years old in 2020, and Paul Ryan might still have his eye on, on running for president and might find it actually easier to run for president. Against Donald Trump? Donald Trump. Wow. And not as, as an incumbent at that point. Um, so, there's, so there's all kinds of sort of scenarios there. And then there's another scenario of which Paul Ryan has said that, that he only sees his kids on the weekend, and he intensely cares about seeing his children. I saw an interview with him what, a couple of days ago that said he doesn't want his kids to think that he's a, only a weekend dad. And, and, and that's a reasonable concern, too, because from, I've heard other members of Congress say the same thing, right. um, that they want to be able to see their family and their kids. And, and I, think, I think that that's um, – I, I, th- I thought he was really uh, – made a very compelling case for that. And I liked uh, – you know, I think that that's something that um, – I don't mean to sound cynical that he was saying that in, in order for people to, you know, look at him or, or, or admire him. But I think a lot of – Working parents and a lot of working dads. I think working dads don't always get the credit that they should, mm-hmm. um, because they are involved with their kids. They do care for their kids. And and he said, you know, all my all my kids' lives, they've been, you know, I've been the weekend dad, and and now they are. He says they're all three are teenagers, but I think they're fifteen, fourteen, and thirteen, so they're barely teenagers. So they're still young enough. He said the it's they're not going to want to hang out with me for very long, which right. is true. And, and I, I, I did find that very uh, compelling, and mm-hmm. I, I, I really like the way he made that statement. And I, I think a lot of people found that um, very compelling, and yeah. and uh, I think certainly humanized him mm-hmm. in a way that you you don't see some sometimes political leaders on the national stage come across about somebody who really cares about their family. And and I think that that dilemma which is so so much more often articulated by working women it was just it was refreshing to hear it articulated so well by a working dad it was it was very nice to hear that but having but having said all that what's interesting this year is the fact that we are seeing i would say a higher than normal percentage of incumbent republicans um opting not to run in 20 in 2018 coincidence and, it could be a coincidence. Um, it could be something about sort of the shift in Republican politics. It could be a variety of different possibilities. But again, the fact that you have more more Republicans opting not to run um, in some situations these are not competitive seats, but in some situations um, these might be competitive seats. And at a time when the Democrats seem to at least be polling very very well um, for 2018. Um, this this does seem to enhance the probabilities that the Democrats might be able to uh, take back the House. And then again, if we look at a couple of special elections, and I'm always hesitant to generalize from special elections, you know, to November. But if you can, it does look like it might be a good year for Democrats. All right. Well, listen. Um... We do have to take a quick break, but when I when we come back, I really want to ask you your thoughts about some of these James Comey interviews. I don't I don't know if anybody's going to buy the book because I think it's been so exhaustively 
uh, reviewed ahead of it being released. But um, I want to ask you about that but, and also about the Syrian missile strikes. So more with David Schultz after this uh, in our closing moments of the show. All right, folks, uh, 23 degrees, 849 here in the Twin Cities. Continue to monitor that historic blizzard. Blizzard warning remains in effect until uh, 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. We are hearing widespread reports that roads and highways are very, very difficult uh, in terms of driving conditions and that one of the biggest problems that you might not anticipate is the entrance ramps, uh, the on and off ramps, are impassable or have not been plowed or else are full filled, filled with cars that couldn't get up them. So if you don't – I know we've been saying it all night. If you don't have to go out, please don't get out uh, because it is dangerous out there. All right, Professor David Schultz, uh, your thoughts on James Comey's book, uh, which I don't think comes out officially until Tuesday, but it's certainly everywhere. <laughs> He's given an interview to just about every news outlet and uh, he doesn't pull any punches when it comes to the president. Well, no surprise. I was going to say also, I did, I did a Kindle order, which will come also on what, Tuesday when it comes out. Because yeah, yeah, so I think that's the earliest you can get it. But it's like I feel like it's been exhaustively re- reviewed and, and excerpted. No question, but I still feel like obligated to read it because I know yeah. people are going to ask me questions about it. But yes, I mean, what we're seeing here is not a surprise, is that Comey... Um, Partly, I think, in, in response to the fact that he was fired by Trump. So you have to expect he's not going to say some very flattering things. But he also doesn't say some very flattering things about Condoleezza Rice and some of the Bush people also. But no surprise, he's, he's heavily critical of Donald Trump and raises lots of questions regarding t- Donald Trump's motive for firing him and about, essentially, I would say, um, hindering prosecution or obstruction of justice. Of course, that has now um, led to Donald Trump you know, with his, you know, with his sort of his, his Twitter war um, in terms of going after him. Um, but yes, even though we've all, we've all heard all this stuff before, um, anticipate that we're going to hear a lot more of the next few days. Uh, and in terms of, you know, some of the excerpts of the book, you know, he talks about the president, you know, appearing smaller than he is. And Comey's a very tall man. I think six he's 6'8". Six, eight. Eight. And the president, I think, is 6'2 or 6'3". Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the president seems sort of smaller, uh, that that he was orange colored from tanning and had the white you know marks around his eyes which would have been goggles mm-hmm. which you know we've seen the president it does look like he does tan mm-hmm. um some of it i i thought I, i'm not sure that and again i i want to read the book as well i have not yet purchased my my kindle edition which i think i i obviously need to do but some of it i thought i thought could be seen as diminishing comey himself it, it, it is, and I, I think you're right. I mean, I mean, you don't usually hear this phrase used in terms of when guys say things, but a little of it sort of seemed kind of got catty, you know, when right. I, you know, from what I'm seeing here, where he's almost needlessly, you know, picking on Trump. And I think the strength that Comey had, um, that many of us respected him for, for what he seemed to be, is to be rising above politics and rising above pettiness, and and and, and that pettiness is, is is probably what's going to sell the book, unfortunately. But also, I think that diminishes his stature or capacity for many of us. Right. And certainly the president firing back, no holes barred on Twitter. Um, let me ask you also about these airstrikes against Syria. Uh, the president saying mission accomplished, uh, which, which certainly has the echo of, of that line from President George W. Bush that 
did not serve President Bush that well. Um, a lot of uh, you know back and forth on Twitter saying you know watch out Russians here we come and then the next day the tweet is well maybe it's coming maybe it's not of course it finally came is this just classic uh, Donald Trump uh, is this something that uh, bodes well for him or well this is well this is, first off it's classic Donald Trump sort of confusing doing television teasers with foreign policy and you probably shouldn't do something like that well, I'm sure I'm sure it sounds like the those. The military experts were less than thrilled exactly. with, with, with the announcement on Twitter that the strikes were imminent. Right, because what you don't want to do is, is especially telegraph that because it gave, according to some reports, the opportunity for Syrians to be able to move, you know, to move um, military, to move facilities, I mean, to do a variety of different things to try to mitigate some of that damage. And, and it's possible you know, that our, our attacks were diminished as a result. Second is that if this was meant to send a signal to, to Assad about not using chemical weapons um, in the future, I'm not persuaded it will have had that effect. You know, it, was, it was on three facilities. Um, I mean, missiles were thrown last year also. I'm just not convinced at the end of the day that Assad or the Russians will view this as, as a deterrent. And given the fact that Trump just a few days before this was talking about pulling the pulling any American troops out of Syria in the Syrian area, um, he's sending incredibly mixed signals regarding U.S. commitment um, to addressing um, chemical warfare and addressing the, the, the Assad regime. Right. And this whole situation, the attack happened just really, I think, days after President Trump said he wanted to withdraw from Syria. Exactly. Now there are some you know, members of Congress, including Senator Klobuchar, who put out statements saying they're concerned that, that President Trump seeks to, to perhaps go into deeply. I mean, this is such a quagmire and it looks like – and it has been for so many U.S. presidents – and it looks like there's a threat of that for President Trump as well. There is, and especially also keeping in mind that um, there are rumors that he wants to, um, John Bolton wants to cancel the, you know, the Iran nuclear deal, um, and Bolton would actually like to do some preemptive strikes there. We're potentially on the verge of commitments, not just to Afghanistan and to um, Iraq, where we still are, but perhaps expanding that to Iran and to Syria. And we have to admit that Iraq and, and Afghanistan are quagmires. These two are similar going to be a problem because we don't have clear objectives regarding what we want to accomplish going in. We don't have a clear prospect of, of what happens if we right. replace the leaders in terms of stabilizing those countries. These are very, very risky adventures. All right. Thank you so much, Professor David Schultz. Stay safe over in St. Paul uh, and stay warm. All right, sir. Thank you so much. It's the one and only David Schultz. Check out his blog, Schultz's Take. I want to thank David Josephson, the producer of this show. Also want to thank Jonathan Lowe, Shaletta Brunage, the producers as well. Stay safe, everyone. Tune in. WCCO-TV, 6 a.m., 1030 a.m. tomorrow. After this. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.